Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Foss of GatorCountry.com. Eric, a little uh, better for Gator fans tonight. <laughs> I think there's definitely some people who were definitely scared from how things went on on Monday and were maybe expecting to... Uh, or I shouldn't say expecting, maybe a little bit cautious that that things could have gone gone sideways tonight. Uh, again, I think it's pretty clear that Texas Southern is is a much better team than than North Florida, but but still, I mean, you you take a loss like that, and there's going to be some fans that are that are scared coming in. So uh, luckily, the Gators kind of were able to get that lead relatively early and and not look back because I'm not sure the uh, the blood pressure of a lot of fans could have taken uh, something that was uh, that was close at all. Yeah, it would have been uh, certainly something that none of us uh, had expected. I don't think anybody really expected to lose either uh, of these games, but that's kind of the way things have turned out. And so uh, Florida does get get back uh, on track victory-wise. They do it mainly with their defense, Eric, for 16 turnovers in the first half and build a huge lead. Yeah, I mean – really incredible because we often talk about um you know you get steals and it turns into points on the other end but when you get 21 steals in the game many of which are like Tyree Appleby guarding the point guard so when he gets a steal it's a breakaway it was it was just incredible to see I think it was 33 points off turnovers and uh that's something that uh uh really kind of when you look at Florida's total total points and you take away those points off turnovers and we can get into that conversation about their half court offense. But uh, uh, when it came to kind of overall picture, it was, it was crazy to just see that, uh, that the Gators were able to, to generate, um, generate so many points just, just with that defense. So yeah, not only do you take North Florida's ability to, to get up the three point shots that they want to do. Um, it was like so many high percentage shots for the Gators in transition, which is really what they needed after some, some uh, pretty poor offensive outputs. Yeah, and I mean, we'll get to offense in just a second. And I think you're right. Easy buckets was was going to be the key to victory. Obviously, um, I thought Mark Wise said on the telecast he didn't think Florida's energy out of the gate was very bad Monday, and I agree with him. I thought Florida kind of just got bogged down in their offense, and then the way the game was going, their energy level kind of decreased as the game was going along. Um, no such issues here. Florida came out very intense, really active with their hands. I mean, obviously, if you're going to get that many steals, you kind of have to be. Um, and then uh, a little different defensively, um, icing a lot of the screens and uh, really kind of extending North Florida quite a bit, making them start their possessions much closer to half court. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and that was probably the the biggest thing is that, like you said, the fact they were icing all those side ball screens. And that's something about North Florida's offense is that they run so many side ball screens. So it just seemed like every ball screen they ran was, was getting iced, which was, uh, you know, given uh, our problems with how they guard high ball screens with the hedge, uh, it was kind of nice to see them, them ice. I, I still think that they could get a lot better with the ice and particularly the, uh, the kind of positioning and, and footwork of the, uh, the big man in that situation. But still, I think icing is a good strategy. There's a reason that it's so prominent in the NBA and uh, it really just kind of kept the ball on one side of the floor for, for North Florida. And uh, again, they're looking to, as we know, get, get up as many threes as possible. Um, I actually loved, I don't know if people caught this, but well, in, in addition to like the Under Armour branded button up shirt that Driscoll was wearing, which is like pretty interesting coaches wear, um, the warm ups that the Ospreys had were the were the birds of Trey. And I thought that that was pretty cool because I've only heard people like 
use that nickname as uh, on like Twitter and people joking about it, but they had birds of Trey um, warm up. So I thought that was pretty sick. And I'm like, man, that's a, I, I don't know if they sell gear like that, but they should. But anyways, for a team uh, that's nicknamed the birds of Trey, they're trying to put up as many three pointers as possible. Um, and that becomes a lot more difficult when you keep the ball on one side of the floor. You don't force help situations and you don't force skips over the top. So um, a strategy that worked pretty good for the Gators and uh uh, you can look at the three-point percentage of North Florida, which was like 24% and say that Florida did a good job, uh, which they did. But to me, it was kind of the fact that North Florida was only able to get off 21 three-point attempts. Yep, season-low attempts, season-low percentage, season-low makes. Um, so speaks directly to uh, Eric's point. And, and, I mean, we talked a bit about it a little bit on the preview, and I don't know, you know, maybe people got – that deep into our show and maybe they just came to to sing hello darkness my own my old friend sound of silence with us but um however it was eric uh it was kind of not kind of north florida is another team that plays a lot of bye games now i don't think they're as good as texas southern but they tend to finish in the top half of their conference um pretty much every season and they are usually very good offensively whether or not Matt Driscoll will ever have a team that defends well enough to to scare someone in the NCAA tournament is another question. But, um, you know, that's a good performance against a team that typically is pretty good on offense. Yeah, I definitely thought so. And and again, you kind of mentioned that they came out with energy. Like, like honestly, yeah, they just came out pissed, man. Like, they just looked so angry and took it out on this – poor North Florida team. And I, I did think it was interesting, of, of course, the uh, the kind of starters that, that were in the game. Tyree Applea, of course, got in there and, and played well, and he brought a lot of that fire. But uh, again, just like the aggression with some of the dig downs or um, just the the pace at which guys were shooting passing lanes and, and um, the intensity with that press. Uh, yeah, it was just like a, a team of guys that, that definitely were, uh, you know, rightfully upset with their Monday performance and were able to, to channel it uh, pretty good from an energy standpoint in this one. Yeah, I mean, I think that they they definitely, you know, Mike White said uh, before the game he expected them to play with their hair on fire, and and they did. What they didn't do, at least in the first half, and I do want to talk about both halves, um, you know, and I guess since we're six and a half minutes into the show, we can certainly do that. Um, I thought in the first half Florida's offense wasn't great. Uh, I thought a lot of their baskets were, like you had mentioned, you know, just actually getting steals and layups. Uh, or setting things up, transition buckets, easy buckets. Um, all that's fine. I mean, that's scoring. But when Florida had to set up its half-court offense, not particularly good. Still not many hard cuts. Ball got stuck on the sides a bunch. Um, you know, they had a couple good segments where they were able to get the ball into Castleton. But even some of those, like some of the slip plays to Castleton, we were late with delivery of the ball. There was one from Flan Fleming that was gorgeous. But the possession right prior to that, Tyree Appleby, who's usually good with this, was uncharacteristically behind on the slip. Um, and it led to a double, and, like, Castleton was crafty enough to score through it. But, you know, that's going to be tough starting, oh, I don't know, Sunday, <laughs> if you're that late. 
Yeah, like, well, I, I'll, I'll give another plug for just like one of the nerdier basketball things you can have. And that's, um, you know, Bart Torvik, who we, we reference his site all the time. Um, but just how uh, he's got a tempo free Chrome extension for ESPN college basketball scores. So you turn on this extension and that like ticker at the top of the ESPN site that would uh, normally or that's just all the all the you know scores of all the games going on instead of displaying. Uh, the scores, it just display, displays the points per possession. And then you can go to every single game. And instead of seeing just like um, how many rebounds does a team have, you see the rebounding percentage. So um, just super nerdy stuff, but it's pretty amazing. But anyways, what I'm getting at is following that for this game, there was much of the first half where Florida was under 0.8 points per possession. And that's not their half court offense. That was everything. So that was their, you even factor in that they were able to get some transition layups on two on ones or breakaway dunks and still their points for possession was well below one for most of the first half. And I think that that just kind of speaks to the fact that they're, you know, you're, you're getting dunks on breakaways off steals and your offense overall is still not really producing because of your, your half court offense. And, and again, I, I, I don't really, I haven't decided exactly how to kind of approach what I'm going to say, but like in a game like this, obviously there was a huge mismatch with Colin Castleton. Um, with guys that are like six, eight, and 190 pounds trying to guard him. So I kind of understand why Florida, like, you know, you want to win this game and you want to win it by a lot. So you go to that kind of mismatch and you keep posting up Castleton and, and scoring that way. But it's also like, you know, is that going to win when you're playing Auburn in a month? Um, I don't know. So again, it's, it kind of goes to like in a game like this, how much do you want to just like win and win with authority and get the confidence up? And how much do you want to, build towards what's going to work in the sec. So like, again, one of the only things that I thought was really working in the half court was getting the ball inside and pounding inside to Castleton. And it's one of those things that like, obviously overall it was effective. Um, but, uh, you know, moving forward, does it actually change my perspective of Florida's offense, which as people know from the last podcast was a little bit bleak, you know, the needle hasn't really moved for me. And, and I'm not sure if this was a game where anything that would have happened would have really moved the needle but um as it kind of sits i you, it's it's still kind of uh kind of where it was after after monday i'm muted i'm sorry about that everybody um i was going to say that that yeah certainly in the first half i couldn't agree more i thought um you know that was more or less all that worked was getting the ball inside to Colin Castleton. Uh, and, you know, wow, I will say that on the last podcast, whether I was angry or um, probably a little bit of angry and serious all at once, but, um, you know, I did like that they stopped having Colin out at the elbow in this game. Like everything was go post. Um, and I thought he's just back to the basket, make sure that they clear out space and he can get the catch that's probably the best way to play him right now um, until they're certain that he won't take a jump shot that's off his back foot and miss, or um, if they're not going to cut off the ball when he's up there. So, you know, certainly they still got him in pick and roll a few times, but the primarily they were feeding the post to him. And I thought that, that was good, but when they didn't do that, uh, not particularly good offense, a little better in the second half. Um, I thought Eric, uh, mostly because, our guy Niles Lane had a really nice cut and dunk late in the first half. And it seemed like that woke some of his teammates up and Florida cut a little better in the second half. 
uh, made some really nice effort plays. Even the Jatobo like put back dunk over everybody, like it came off a layup attempt that was a great cut. Yeah, and you know, I, I know Florida missed a lot of shots, but they got a lot of open three pointers. And uh, while it didn't put points on the board, it's not going to help their points for possession. I still, you know, if you ended up a possession with a wide open three from one of your guards, to me, that's a good possession. And you can't really look at, did the ball go in or not? So I actually think that they, the offense was probably even better than what the points for possession was. So uh, th- that was definitely encouraging. And, and again, you still see as much as we have some problems with the offensive structure, um, you still love just how unselfish the guys are. And that was kind of the case, guys that were moving the ball sacrificially. And um, it, like Niles Lane did, it's like, hey, when the ball's moving side to side and you scramble a defense, if you cut, you can get a dunk. So um, hopefully that's something that, again, someone like Niles Lane, who – has struggled to handle the ball and just probably knows that that's not going to be his, his kind of major role, at least this year. Um, that's how he can put points on the board. And there's a, there's a couple of guys that I, I think could really benefit from doing the same. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I couldn't, couldn't agree more with that either. Did think that they were a little more crisp in the second half ball movement was better. Um, again, in the second half, Florida was also good transition wise at, moving the ball up quickly without over dribbling a uh, little less over dribbling tonight. So I guess like, here's what I'd say about it, Eric. And let me know if you agree with this. Like I thought small improvements, but nothing like schematic that was like night and day better, just executed cleaner. Again, it's still tough to say. And there was honestly like by the like 15th steal, there was honestly part of me that was like, Oh, Tyree Appleby stopped stealing the ball because like, you're going to get a layup in transition and, and you guys need to like run some half court sets. Like it, there, there was honestly times where I was just like, honestly, I was like, Oh, I, I was kind of getting tired of Florida stealing the ball. Cause I was like, Oh, if they get a transition layup here, they're not going to get another half court opportunity to, to get better. Um, which I totally understand. Hey, don't, you don't want to tell a competitor, Hey, don't go steal the ball and don't go score. But uh, it, it, it did make it kind of tough for me to kind of like gauge exactly where I thought that their, their half court offense was. So, so, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit better, but um, uh, maybe I'll have to watch it again and, and see exactly how I feel. But at least if nothing else, you put 85 points on the board or whatever, and um, you score some easy ones, guys like Appleby, you came off some tough shooting nights, even for him to, to get fouled on some three point attempts and get some layups, like just to see the ball through the hoop, maybe give some, some confidence uh, moving forward. But uh, Neil, I've, I've got a question for you. And um of course, in the offseason, there was a few people uh, that were pretty kind of down on Florida as a three-point shooting team. Um, you mm. and me were kind of like, oh, we think they're better than than that. Um, it kind of started the season. Um, we had a couple good moments where it was like, oh, we're for sure right. This is going to be a good shooting team. And now, of course, they have not shot the ball well for multiple games in a row. So I'm going to just ask you, where's your confidence level at for the Gators as a three-point shooting team? I still think we're right, Eric. I still think we're right. I'm looking at career percentages and I just think we're right. Um, You know, Myron Jones, a streaky shooter right now, he's in one of these two or three game things that he has. If you look at his career game logs, this happens to him. Um, You know, Flan Fleming didn't fire away as much tonight, um, but he made the only three he took. McKissick was one of four, two of them were in and out. Um, Kawasi Reeves had another one where the iron was unkind as Tim Brando would say. Uh, so I think, 
I just don't know. Like five of 23, you look at their last three games and it's like, man, they're shooting like 23% out there or something like that. And I just don't think, I think this is just a cold snap. Hopefully the, the cold weather in Brooklyn ends up heating them up in Barclays on Sunday. That, that'd be nice. I, I, I mean, of course the answer is probably, probably everyone's going to say, yes, we think they're better than 282nd in the country, which is what they are after, after tonight's game. Um, the question is just like, Hey, do we think that they're like a top 100 team or do we think they're like 150th in terms of percentage? And, um, I still think that I still think, yeah, they're closer to that top 100 again. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I, I will double down on, on thinking this is a good shooting team. And one thing that's like, you could also take as, um, pretty concerning, or you could take it as a positive is like Florida, the last couple of years in terms, if you take their dumb shots, um, over the last couple of years, they've been in the range of like 60% of their jump shots being uncontested or 65, I think two years ago, like, and, and you look at kind of the national average, it's usually like 55, 57% of shots being considered, um, wide open or, um, uncontested. And right now the Gators are at 50%. So you can kind of take that two ways. You can say, okay, on one hand, they're not producing those open shots, which I do think is part of their offensive struggles is that they're not getting those open opportunities. But you can also look at it and you can look at the fact that, so Florida is hitting 38% of their, of their uncontested threes. So that's obviously a really good number. So if they were generating 57% of those shots um, kind of wide open versus 50%, then suddenly their percentage would already be a little bit better. And then your fact, then you factor in like, okay, like you said, looking at career percentages, guys that have had multiple years in a row of shooting well, um, you think that they're going to have some positive regression. So um, that's kind of one net stat I was looking at. And, and it, I, I think it's interesting because I think it speaks to a couple of things. It speaks both to Florida's inability to generate those open shots. Um, it also speaks to the fact that uh, when Florida's getting good looks, guys are hitting them. So they just need to generate some, uh, some more half decent looks. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't, uh, there's not much to add to that. Uh, Florida had a bunch of open looks tonight with ball movement. What I'll say is I think a couple things can be true. I think Florida's going to shoot better than they're shooting now by some distance. Like not, I mean, because it would be like not a hot, not a really good take at all. Not much analysis at all to say they'll shoot better than 22%, but I think they'll shoot substantially better. I also still think, Eric, that their defense is going to be one of their best offensive mechanisms all season if they're going to play with active hands and that kind of energy they are going to get easy buckets against a lot of teams um, and that will help at the end of the day because you're going to have night where you know it's tough to to see the ball go in yeah again i i kind of think that this team is one that is gonna have to gamble a little bit and and i i said that a little bit last year and it was in reference to the fact that I didn't think that Florida was a great defensive team. So I kind of thought that they were going to to gamble to get steals because if they just play out offensive possessions, that uh, that teams were going to, to just beat them with better offense than than Florida's half court defense. Uh, this year, I think that they're really good defensively. Um, but I just wonder if they're going to have to be more aggressive because they're going to need to get a few of those transition opportunities and we'll, we'll see exactly how that goes. We'll see if their half court offense improves, but like, you know, right now Florida's 50th in in Ken Palm offense. Um, for those of you who look at it after every game, you'll know that that is a drop in offense 
um, from before the North Florida game. So even with that, the points they put up, um, you know, it was a lot of possessions, not great points per possession, and they end up against a team that's not good defensively. So they end up dropping a little bit. So if Florida ends up somewhere in that 50th range, which would be, you know, way off from what I guessed, we know this from our preseason predictions, they're going to need to manufacture points in other ways. And um, some of that's going to be offensive rebounding, but I, I think a lot of it is going to be Brandon McKissick and Tyree Appleby being kind of encouraged to be frantic and, and try to come up with steals. And, and again, maybe that's that, well, not maybe that will end up in some busted coverages and some wide open threes, but maybe you just have to live with that. If it means the possibility of getting some, some easy points, which are desperately needed. I don't know what's going on with my uh, having some mouse issues here with the okay. with the mute with the mute on mute. Um, yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I think you saw tonight just active hands. They gambled a little bit tonight um, at times. There was the one play where they get McKissick gambled, made the play. Then there was a scramble. Then McKissick got floor burn. I'm like, I hope he got an assist for that. I don't know. Like, I guess not because he wouldn't have possession of the ball in theory, like it's just a tip, but, um, you know, just getting the ball out. They were one for five with, with Myron Jones today, but Myron had two breakaway layups and a breakaway dunk. So there's six more points right there. The other thing is Florida did was uh, get fouled again. It got back to doing that shot more free throws. Um, you know, in this game, end up shooting 30 free throws made 22 or 23 of them. Uh, let me see. Yep. 22. That's 74%. You'll take that most nights. Um, Tyree Appleby actually missed two. Uh, weird game where people kept fouling each other on three pointers in the first half. Uh, but, but yeah, it's weird to see Tyree go one for three, but he bounced back, made his other five. And then Colin Castleton had to feel good seeing eight of 11 go down. Yeah, pretty big for him. And uh, again, I think that sometimes like it's especially you see with those big men and with Castleton too, I, I think it's like when they shoot like five or six free throws, you're they miss a couple early and they don't really have a chance to like get a feel from it from the line. But when you shoot a bunch of free throws in one game, you can kind of settle into a rhythm. And yeah, I think that happened a little bit. And hopefully that rhythm just carries him forward to even when he's 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 not playing at home. But um, I'll also point out that was Tyree Appleby's first dunk as a Gator. Um, he had a bunch, um, well, not a bunch. I think he had nine or 10 dunks at, at Cleveland State. Um, but uh, that was his first as a Gator. So good to see him get to throw one down in transition. He probably would have had one against uh, um, the other day against, uh, who was that who who fouled him in transition really dirtily? I forget now. Um, Troy, Troy. Troy, Troy. So he almost had his first then, but it actually ended up being uh, being tonight. So right on for Tyree Appleby. But uh, the, yeah, the, the drawing fouls thing too. Again, at the same time, it's like, we know that drawing fouls is really good. We know that that's something that we really want to see from the Gators and it's good to see if they are generally drawing more fouls. But uh, again, a lot of it was like six foot seven, 180 pound, 85 pound backup center for North Florida gets, you know, he's trying to front Colin Castleton has to grab him. So like, ex again, exactly how much can we say, that tells us moving forward against a team like Maryland or going into the SEC. Yeah. I'm still not totally sure, but again, you can only really play the team in front of you. And against North Florida, that was just uh, getting to the foul line was definitely a result of um, one, those steals. And it was Tyree Appleby getting out in transition and, and, you know, getting fouled or on those three point attempts, of course, um, or it was uh, just Colin Castleton being relentless. Oh, one more thing, Neil, you might've actually gotten 
some pretty poor luck in this one because looking back at our preseason predictions, um, I had Florida's top point getter on the season at 26, which is what Castleton finished with tonight. And you had 30. And man, he left a couple at the rim. Um, it could have very easily been 30. We could have called that one for you right away. But as, as it stands right now, Florida's top point getter is, is is right on my prediction. So we'll see what happens. But he got he got up there quick. And uh when he uh you know, I I when he missed the one layup, I was just like, Oh, that could have been 28. Um you know, when there was a, a couple more that I thought those hook shots that just kind of spilled out could have very, very easily been your your victory right then there, Neil. But uh, we'll have to fight on for another day and see what happens. Yeah, I would have to say uh, I felt like we we might get there. I was thinking about that late in the game, and I was like, oh, I guess they're not going to put him back in. So I'm going to be stuck with these missed bunnies. But I'll take 26 points from Florida's bench. Um which is what they got. I mean, I guess 13 came from Appleby, but he did come off the bench. Um, Florida bench had 11 of Florida's 21 steals. Four were Appleby, but seven from other players. Uh, kind of a wild one for Jason Chitobo. Not often you see a guy play seven minutes and foul out, but uh, Chitobo, he pulled it off, baby. Uh, so that there's, if you want like your one weird stat before we move on to Maryland, <laughs> let's let's chalk it up to Jason Chitobo's seven minute five foul three point performance and elijah yeah. kennedy with the stat sheet stuff this was less weird but like just stuffs the stat sheet with like three of everything but like goes over five missing like multiple wide open threes you're just like dude these have got to go in at some point yeah, I thought he rushed a couple, which again, I th- like like shot making can be contagious. Like it just seems like when a couple guys start hitting threes, like everyone starts hitting threes, and also when a couple guys miss and it looks ugly, it kind of just seems to affect everyone. And I thought he just kind of rushed his mechanics a little bit, but it was also good to see him throw down a dunk because uh, uh, that was just like explosion that I wasn't totally expecting. But um, I, I think the last thing I might just want to ask you about Neil, and this will I guess just tie into Maryland and. I guess every game moving forward, but uh, interested what you thought about the uh, the starting five and how uh, how they played versus I guess you could call it the the starting five, but with Appleby when he came in. Yeah, I mean, I thought the team is better with Appleby in there to to stir the drink. Um, you know, I, if they want to use him off the bench for energy, then I'm not going to get in their way really. Um, but I still think. It should be Appleby that starts and McKissick that comes off the bench. You can still get energy from McKissick off the bench, so I don't think it really matters. I'd rather have the guy that was going to be more creative offensively in the starting lineup. Yeah, I I just um, I, I pointed out, um, you know, our friend at the at Alligator Army, Andy, just kind of asked us or asked me um, the other day. Just kind of I was when I was tweeting out some lineup data stuff. He was kind of like, "Oh, what's that?" that starting line of, of McKissick, Jones, um, Fleming, Deruji, and Castleton. And they have done very, very, they've done very, very poorly uh, in the season. I think their net rating was like minus 16 or something like that. Like it was not very good. And, you know, against Texas Southern, they go out and they have a pretty slow start to the game. Of course, everyone seemed to not play particularly well game, but those that starting group did not exactly give much of a, much of a lift. So uh, then you've kind of fast forward to this game. Um, unfortunately, the lineup data is not available. We're just recording this like less than an hour after the game ended. Um, so it's it's not available yet. But, you know, those 
those those first minutes, it was, you know, six, seven, I think before, or sorry, seven, six for the Gators before, uh, um, before Tyree Appleby came into the game. So um, again, how much do you want to read into four minutes in a buy game at home? Um, maybe not a ton, but when that starting lineup of not Tyree Appleby has performed quite poorly this year, and they play four minutes against North Florida, and it's essentially a draw. And then Tyree Appleby comes in, and then the Gators pull away. Um, you know, it made maybe a little bit of of my bias of thinking that it is the team is better with Appleby on the floor. But um, you know, knowing my bias, people can also just look at that information of the lineup data plus a game like this where the first four minutes were really close and the Gators couldn't get much going. And then Tyree Appleby comes in and that's when the Gators blew it open and never looked back. Um, I think it's, I personally think it's some indication of how the Gators are better with Appleby, but um, again, doesn't like, again, kind of old coaches adage doesn't matter who starts it's who finishes, but we saw against um, we saw against Texas Southern where it was, there was like two stretches where the Gators were, minus seven for two minutes and then opened a half really badly and, and, and kind of lost because of it or against Oklahoma where they start slowly and then they start the second half slowly. And that was the two things that were kind of the differences. So um, it, it does matter more who finishes than who starts, but it's also like, yeah, you can't really having be having stretches where you're really dry and it's those stretches are totally anticipated if you look at lineup data. So um We'll see, but I'm just, you know, I would say, I guess I'm glad, Neil, to say that, to, to, or to, to hear that you're in agreement with uh, the Gators being at their best with Tyree Appleby. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think Ford will also need to be at their best on Sunday uh, to against Maryland um, in Berkeley at the Barclays Center. I think it's a game that will, I'll do, a, I'll do a quick hot take. I think it's a quad one win for Florida at the end of the year. Um and the reason I think that is that Maryland typically gets better as the season goes along. I also think they're just too talented to not play a little better. And then as I've watched a couple of their games this week, I was struck by um, that their losses are all pretty close. I mean, George Mason, five points, Louisville, eight, um, Virginia Tech, four, Northwestern, six. Those are their four losses. Uh, they haven't, really got any great wins, but they beat a pretty good Hofstra team um, by two. They beat a pretty good Vermont team um, pretty comfortably uh, by 11. And then the other thing that should concern everyone is that they're really jump shot reliant, like less jump shot reliant than they were last year when like, if they didn't make shots, they lost period end of story. But um, they're shooting about 6% under their career averages across the board. And that starts with Eric Ayala, Eric, um, who is shooting 5% below his 34% career average from deep. Still the team's leading scorer, but he's kind of in a struggle bus early in the year. Uh, I'm going to tell you something that's going to depress you, Neil. Um, of course, we don't think the season's going to end this way, but as it stands right now, for Maryland, this is a quadrant two game because the Gators are 56 in the net, which is um, pretty unfortunate to hear. Um, but, and of course it's like really small sample size. The yeah, Chattanooga and our friend Eddie, Eddie Shannon are like 28th in the net right now. Um, I think that they might end up being like top 50, but uh, uh, not exactly sure if, um, you know, are they going to end at 28? Maybe not. And I ended 27th or the, 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 the mighty, 
Wagner Seahawks um, from Staten Island. So do I think they're going to stay at 27? Uh, no. So the net is, of course, really early and constantly changing. But right now it's uh, not even a quad. Right now it would be not even a, a quadrant one game for uh, for Maryland taking on the Gators. But uh, I'm not sure if I agree with your take about the quadrants uh, for, for Maryland. We'll see exactly what happens. We'll see now with uh, Danny Manny, Manning taking over at uh, head coach after the, the strange... Um, I guess, resignation of Mark Turgeon. I guess that's the, the official word uh, mid-season. But uh, we'll see if they kind of play differently or if they kind of continue the same the same style. But, um, you know, Maryland is a team that's, uh, uh, I would say, not super athletic, but pretty physical and 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 stout. Um, they really kind of play that, that Big Ten style for sure. And uh, – one player to, to definitely watch out for is, yeah, Fats Russell, a player that people will know, a transfer from um, Rhode Island. Um, he is kind of a noted flopper, to be honest. He's had plenty of occasions of that. So um, I'm definitely like, if you're Brandon McKissick and Tyree Appleby, um, especially like a Brandon McKissick who's like to post up smaller guards, um, he's got to know if uh, Fats Russell is, is guarding him down there, he's going to look to uh, – embellish some contact so we'll see if there's any super frustrating moments for that but if there's anyone that's going to make the Gators uh, just really upset in this game it could very well be Fats Russell so I'm going to disagree just slightly with the anyone that would be upset and say that um, the thing about Maryland is that last year like a lot of the problems were that they really didn't have any like post-up big that they could kind of just go to and like crush people on the offensive glass and that kind of thing. And like, I will give like Mark Turgeon credit. Like they hit the portal pretty hard, like Florida and got Kudis Wahib from Georgetown, who more or less won the big East tournament, like by himself last year. Uh, I mean, that's kind of mean to his teammates, but if you like look at the game luck, <laughs> um, you know, that's kind of what happened. Um, and uh, he will be probably the most skill big other than, I mean, obviously Florida played EJ Liddell, but other than EJ Liddell that, that Florida has uh, had to deal with. And certainly in terms of his girth and body, like if the Gators don't want to collaboratively rebound Sunday, then people are going to be really upset at the outcome. That's my take. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Cause they, they do have that kind of size, but they're one of the teams that kind of like, subscribes to the model of not really offensive rebounding hard and then just like instead going back and just getting in transition defense. Uh, But they've got the guys, like you said, with the hob who absolutely can, can rebound hard. And um, you can kind of see just like where that size comes through with the fact that Maryland is really good defensive rebounding team. Um, so they definitely got the, the, the size and uh, the physicality and the desire to rebound. And um, w- one thing that's pretty interesting about their kind of play style, they're one of the worst pick and roll teams in the country. Um, they're in the fourth percentile um, in terms of pick and roll efficiency. Um, when they run pick and rolls, it's 0.67 points per possession. Um, they're turning it over 18% of the time on their pick and rolls. So um, a really poor oh. pick and roll team, which, luck- <laughs> which luckily for the Gators who – you know, we don't love their pick and roll defense. Um, you know, that's uh, probably an advantage to the Gators. And they do like to run those sideball screens. And one area I do like Florida's pick and roll defense is the ice. So I think that there's a little bit of an advantage there. But um, something you alluded to just with, like, the best or most skilled big Florida's played is, you know, Ohio State did have some good success posting up against the Gators. And uh, Maryland posts up a ton. Um, so that'll be, if we're kind of looking at, 
what could be kind of a trap for, for Florida and what could give them problems. It's the fact that Maryland posts up a ton and they're really good at posting up. And we saw a team in Ohio state with, you know, six foot seven bigs having a lot of success posting up the Gators. It's like, well, now, you know, Wahab's whatever, 6'10 or 6'11 and um, skilled and strong. So, um, so it's a matchup that concerns me a little bit for sure. Yeah, no, Donta Scott is like not terrible at it either. Kind of wide, wider 6'7 guy who plays with his back to the basket is comfortable doing that. Should do it more given that he's just an outrageously bad three-point shooter given the fact that he'll let it fly. Um, from out there shooting 28% this year, which is a little bit above his uh, career average. He's the one guy that's doing a little better. So I guess he worked real hard on that in the summer. Um, no, I shouldn't be mean like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the other thing that Wahab kind of gives them that they didn't really have last year, though, is a, a rim protector and somebody that can negate things. And I also think that helps them a little bit defensively. Like if you look at their Kim Pom and Bartoric numbers, they're not a bad defensive basketball team by any stretch of the imagination. And last year they had real problems with three point percentage defense. So you'd think, well, Florida's due to have a good shooting game. And this is a team that you can really exploit that way. But I think they're improved at it because of the presence of, of Wahab underneath. They don't have to sag off shooters as much, Eric. Yeah, it's a good point. That has been a kind of problem for them, just the sheer amount of three-pointers they've they've given up. They've had a little bit of, of poor luck, I would say, just kind of watching their games and, and looking at how teams have shot the ball against them. Um, so in terms of percentage, they're, they're 266 in the country and three-point percentage against. So you hope that maybe this is the one where, you know, Myron Jones and Tyree Appleby get, a, get on track. And uh, I, I think they're going to have to shoot some jump shots because, again, there is good rim protection for Maryland. And the Gators have not been a team that has finished very well inside. Um, a couple of their, their guards would rather stop in the mid-range and, and, and shoot a jump shot or, or a floater than try to get all the way to the hoop. So this would be a game, too, where we'll see what happens if, if Florida can get into the paint and with the intention of, of finishing or drawing contact, or is it going to be guys that get caught in the air trying to make passes out of it or stopping short and, and putting up kind of mid range jump shots. So um, that'll be uh, kind of the situation, especially because I do think that there are some good defenders like, like Fats Russell is a, is a good defender. Eric Isle is a good defender. Um, but again, not like super athletic or anything. So I think that there's going to be some dribble penetration from the Gators. So it's like, what are they going to do once they get that penetration is, is kind of my question. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that's absolutely correct. And I should go back and correct one stat. I had a player wrong, which is uh, that's on me. That's on me. People will get it corrected. It's Julian Reese who sometimes launches more threes than he should and shot in the, the 20s. Um, and it's right there at 20% again. Dante Scott was actually 44%, one of the better three-point uh, players and one of the better big three-point shooters in the in the Big Ten last year. And that was on reasonably high volume. He's shooting 28% this season. So 16% below his career average out there. Uh, I knew it was one of the two, and I had to go and check the numbers. And that's Scott. That, um, And that's weird because Wahab, last year Scott was 6'7 and played like the Neil Blackman fantasy where Anthony Deruji played the five. Like Scott actually did that quite a bit for Mark Turgeon last year, and now he gets to drop down to his – preferred position which is the four but they run a lot of pick and pop for him and so far like the pop hasn't had much fizzle <laughs> yeah and if uh, if florida's gonna 
you know, ice some of those screens. We'll we'll see if they uh, they have the possibility to put some up, but um, that'll be uh, something that I still think works generally in in Florida's favor. And if he knocks one down, you still maybe have to have to play the percentages. But yeah, like a couple of guys, Gallas, eighteen for sixty two on the season from three, twenty nine percent. Fats Russell, who I I don't think he's ever been a good shooter in his career. I should probably check that before I say that. But he's shooting twenty six percent from the field. Yeah, he shot twenty four percent um from uh from or sorry from three he should so he's a career oh man he's a career 28 percent three-point shooter on 600 attempts that's pretty yeah. crazy so uh yeah not a great shooter from fats wrestle who's also undersized so um you know there's a reason he resorts to his embellishments um uh it's, it's undersized guard doesn't shoot the ball well he's got to find other ways to make things happen but um um, I, I respect him, but just definitely the, the flopping, I do not, but, uh, yeah, there's definitely some guys that, that definitely do do some chucking for them. And, uh, uh, on a neutral court, you often see that that, uh, team shoot a little bit worse than they, uh, normally shoot. So, uh, for a team that already struggles to shoot, um, we'll see what happens. I mean, there's been a couple just, you know, truly horrendous shooting games in uh, New York recently um, with SEC opponents. So let's hope that uh, the Gators and, and uh, Terrapins don't have uh, one of those brick fests like we've seen recently. Yeah. I was thinking that, um, you know, like it was instructive that Fats Russell, when he had the portal, like Dan Hurley was just like, yeah, dude, it's cool. Go ahead and go to, go, go to Maryland. You know, like I recruited you, but I saw enough. You know, like offensively, high volume, twenty something percent shooter. He's a, a definite sag off candidate for Florida. Give him the Desi Sills treatment. <laughs> it's like the point guard that nobody's within six feet of. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think, look, I guess what I've I've been kind of hyping him up, and and Eric's been knocking him back down. <laughs> And it's been a good dynamic, to be honest. Um, I just think that they're better than they're playing. Uh, that said, you know, Mark Turgeon quit because I've called him the Mike White of the Big Ten. Like, I guess he just got tired of the fan base as just being mean. Um, all he was doing was making the NCAA tournament. Unlike Mike White, who isn't winning as prolifically as Billy Donovan, of course. Uh, Mark Turgeon was like, making tournaments at a higher rate than Gary Williams was, who has the court named after him. Um, so like, you know, there's a lot of things. There are differences. Uh, Mark Churchon, famously prickly individual, um, tough to get along with, tough to work for. All these things are the opposite of Mike White. If Mike White is ever dismissed at the University of Florida, it will be like a wake in the athletic building. I promise you that. Uh, that was not the case with Mark Churchon. We, we could say resigned. We could say let go. Um, Danny Manning, the opposite, but as a head coach, it was a disaster at Wake Forest. Uh, so maybe Eric's right. Maybe I'm wrong in thinking that it's quad one possible, but, like, I don't know. I, maybe this team misses Daryl Morsell more than I thought they were going to miss him, which is maybe that's bad of me because, of course, they missed the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. But, um, man. Like they just seem better than this. And like, to me, if they're going to like make a stand on their season, it starts Sunday for them. And so I worry a little bit about the intangible factor too, unless Florida brings the same energy they brought tonight. 
Yeah, this is their last kind of marquee non-conference game. They do, luckily for for them. So, um, like Neil alluded to, Danny Manning takes over um, Wake Forest coach for I think six or seven years before he uh, uh, got fired there. Um, and uh, yeah, in terms of Mark Turgeon, so the, the the word is that he resigned. Um, he also got paid a buyout, so that kind of gives the vibe of like, hey, uh, if you resign, we'll pay you. So you know, it's, sounds a lot like being fired, but the word is is that he resigned. <laughs> so um, not yeah, but like you said, just not someone who is known for being particularly likable. I will say, even based off his kind of press conference demeanor in the media, not particularly likable. But uh, Danny Manning is someone who, like you also said, is the opposite. Danny Manning is very likable. Um, I was really cheering for him at Wake, but it just certainly did not work out. Um, with the Encore product. But uh, one thing that I think works in their favor is uh, they do have, so they lost on Sunday um, to Northwestern, but then they don't play until next or, you know, this Sunday against the Gators. So they do actually have um, a week to prepare. So it's like, if you're going to make a head coach switch mid season, um, it's definitely nice to have a week. Um, so I could see them definitely coming out against the Gators um, a little bit more prepared than they looked against uh, Northwestern where uh, they really struggled offensively and, and ended, ended up losing. Yeah, and I don't think Northwestern is lousy, but, um, you know, I definitely think that was, t- to Eric's point, they had just come off a really tough ACC Big Ten challenge loss, and then their coach was gone, so they had a very quick turnaround. Now they kind of get time to soak it all in, get used to the fact that, that Mark Turgeon is not around. Um, you know, and I do think with Wahab, they kind of have a matchup that, at least in their best wins this season, uh, that's kind of been, um, or their best games and performances this season, that's kind of been the guy that they've been able to rely on. He was excellent against KV Aluma and Virginia Tech, but um, the Hokies just made just enough shots to get the victory. So I think Florida will be challenged. Like I said, like Eric said, you know, defend the post. Also just take care of the basketball, make these guys score in the half court. Um, you know, and it goes without saying, take care of the basketball seems to be pretty important for Florida this year. But when you struggle in the half court offense, I just think it's even more important. And so I'm going to say 10 to 13 on the turnovers. It's going to be my turnover number, Eric. I, I love the turnover number that you give every, every game. Now that's a, that's a good one. My ne- my next question for you, Neil is how many minutes does the eighth man in Florida's rotation play? So zero is also an acceptable answer, hypothetically, whatever you think. So I'm starting to think – so I actually thought we didn't talk about Kowasi tonight. Kind of a tough one for him in my view. Like took a really quick corner three, and like I get that it went in and out, but it was like four seconds into the shot clock, and he almost like was so rushed he didn't set his feet. Um, And then, you know, I just thought like – didn't battle for a rebound on one particular possession. Like he's going down the court and like his teammates are outnumbered underneath, like battling for the rebound. And you're the second longest guy on the floor, just little things like that. It's going to be tough for him to play if they watch the tape, uh, unless he practices really well. So that makes me think, Hmm. Then I look at Kudus Wahab and I'm like, Oh, Uh, so I'm going to go with Jason Jatobo gets five minutes and that'll be, Eight. Now, do we see Elijah Kennedy? Wouldn't stun me because I thought he played really well. Um, 
but I also, you know, I'm going to have to go back and watch like to see if he, how many of those threes that he missed were, I had the two that were wide open in my head and I need to watch the like, man, that was rushed, but he really does like do a lot of things that impact winning. So I could see him playing in a game like this too. Yeah, I, I think so. And especially kind of looking at the, uh, the back hole, um, like, especially again with, with the fats wrestle, who's, um, not big and Ian Martinez is another guy who plays some minutes for them. Not, not big or physically imposing. So I think there's some matchups for Elijah Kennedy, who's still a little bit thin. Um, obviously it's just a freshman. Um, so I think there's some matchups to work for him. And I, I think Elijah Kennedy has been just like really steady. Like I know some games he's made shots and other games he hasn't like tonight, but I don't actually think that his like game where he made shots was any worse than tonight where he missed shots. Um, again, maybe I have to look back at those shots and see if they were ones he should have taken or not. I think that they were, um, if my memory is correct. So I, I think he's just been really steady and, and really good. So I kind of see him as, as the eighth guy. Um, Jason Jatobo did not move the needle for me um, in his performance tonight. I thought he had some very poor moments in pick and roll defense um, as well as tune gat kick, same kind of thing. So, um, like you said, I, I, it'd be great to say, oh, here's a matchup with Wahab where you can throw size at size, but, uh, that, you know, that hasn't been proven. Yes. There was some moments tonight where again, he was got the nice matchup with a six foot seven, 185 pound center. Um, that's great seal and finish and get fouled like he did. That's, that's wonderful, but still just to see the way he guarded, um, the, the way that he played pick and roll or yeah, the way the pick and roll defense went specifically, I still am a little bit concerned, but again, straight, like there's going to be a lot of straight post-ups from, from Maryland. So maybe, uh, maybe he gets away with that. So that'll be, uh, that'll be interesting. But to me, it's like the eighth guy is I, I, my, my guess I suppose will be Kennedy, but um, I think that that's minutes that uh, he would deserve if he does in fact get in. But um, at the same time, I could see this being another, another seven man night truthfully. Yeah, no, I, I might be just worrying about foul trouble, giving Jatobo the five, but I could see, I think Florida will play eight, whether it's Jatobo or Kennedy. I went with Jatobo, so I, I won't change my answer. I'm going to go Jason Jatobo gets five minutes. Um, for those that are curious, Myron Jones last year against Maryland, uh, 17 points in a win at Maryland. Um, this kind of like is peak Myron Jones stuff, by the way. He was two of seven from deep in that game, but shot – seven free throws and made them all uh, to get to 17, had five rebounds and a couple of assists, uh, six rebounds. I'm sorry. Apologize to you, Myron. Um, and then in the other game, two points, uh, one of five from deep had three rebounds. Both those games, he played high minutes, 29, 35. So Myron has those nights. He had one in last year against Maryland where he made some shots. And another where he didn't. Um, but he was 2-0 against the Terps, so maybe Florida gets a little scouting report from Myron too. Yeah, and I mean maybe a little bit of gambler's fallacy here, but I would say that um, the notoriously streaky throughout his career, Myron Jones, is is maybe due for a big shooting night after 1 for 6, 0 for 4, 1 for 5 from 3. Um, that's like he hasn't really had that many stretches in his career where he's gone like three games in a row, not shooting the ball. Well, um, it's usually like two tops and then he explodes. So uh, we'll see. He could, he, but he could be due for one. I, I do fear that like, like again, like tonight, it just seemed like with every miss, he just started putting more arc on the ball. Um, and his last miss just like scraped the rafters. So um, that's something that he'll, I, I still think like, 
again, you don't want to see his mechanics changing when, when shots don't fall, you want to see something a little more consistent, but um, if ever a time for him to, to break out of this little slump and, and do what he does and that's get really hot, this would be a great game for it. Yeah. He had one three game stretch like this, the entirety of last season hmm. uh, where he, he went one for five over four, two of six over a three game stretch. Penn state was one and two in those games, by the way. And then he came back with three of eight, three of five, and six of 12 in his next three. So, uh, you know, you got to rally, baby. Um, He's a streaky shooter. Uh, Should be a fun one, though. I think a really important game for Florida's season, Um, quite honestly. I think there's just so much of a difference on their resume. If they come out of non-conference play, 10 and 2, obviously the Big 12 challenge still waiting, but. Um, 10 and two entering SEC play with a couple of quad one wins, assuming Florida state gets its act together, which they will, um, you know, big difference, Eric. Well, here's the thing. And it's, it's something that we didn't really talk about on the podcast after Texas Southern. And I, I, for me personally, I didn't really know the extent of it, but it's like, okay, yes, I know it was an awful loss to Texas Southern. Um, I know it's going to really hurt on the resume, but as like more stuff kind of like rolled in, particularly from bracketologists and, and people who really follow that, like that loss really is one of the worst losses in recent college basketball history. And a number of the bracketologists I talked to, um, many of which are, are very, very good. Um, they suggested that that loss could very well cost the Gators, not one seed line, but two seed lines. Yeah. Um, something I saw that was pretty wild on Twitter um, is that in the, uh, and I, I then messaged the guy and asked about, it and he explained it to me a little bit more. And it was very fascinating to me, but um uh, there has been no team in the history of the net to finish that, or sorry, no top 40 team in the history of the net has taken a quad four Vic or quad four loss. And that's what the Gators did. So if you kind of follow around, it's usually the top 33 or 35 in the net that um, make the NCAA tournament as an at large bid. Um, and so, so, so that's another way to put it is no team that has ever gotten an at large bid has taken a quadrant four loss. So if this, if the Gators are anywhere near the bubble mix, like this is a loss that truly could sink them. And I don't think they're going to end up on the bubble. I think that they're going no. to be a little bit, you know, I think they're going to be in the tournament relatively safely, but like it could very well be a situation where they could be a five seed, but they're going to end up being a seven and it's because of a loss. So again, I'm not trying to dwell on it anymore. It's just like genuinely interesting information to me that I didn't know at the time of our last podcast that, it was the only quad four loss that, you know, if, if Florida makes the NCAA tournament this year, they'll be the only team in the Nets history to have a quadrant four loss and make it as an at-large team. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but again, it just makes the margin for error so small with a game on a neutral court against, uh, against Maryland. And, you know, I certainly hope it ends up quadrant one victory, but I think, and I don't, and again, I don't think, like, I don't think it'll be a quadrant one game, like you said, Neil, but I don't like heartily disagree. And I think it'll be pretty close, but um, I do think there's a reasonable chance that it's a quadrant two game. And for the Gators who lost a quad four game, uh, they can't afford to drop too many quadrant two. So um, I, as much as you don't want to be like, oh, must win game. I mean, that would be ridiculous to claim that that is. It's just like, well, when you take the worst loss in the last decade in college basketball for a team that wants to make the NCAA tournament, it's like, yeah, suddenly Maryland, who's down a head coach in on a neutral floor, suddenly becomes extra important. 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think Florida needs to win. I think it's a, a game that they need to win. I won't, you know, must win. However you want to phrase it. I think Florida needs to win the game. I will say that Kentucky was probably, unless they won the SEC tournament, they were going to make the field in the COVID year with a big quad four mm-hmm. loss in Rupp Arena to a team that went 0-18 in its conference. Um, <laughs> so, uh Florida would was a, a global pandemic prevented true Kentucky from from being the first team to somebody's got to be first baby so Florida's on the bubble uh I think they're gonna be okay anyway as long as they win games like this but uh great points by Eric there uh I, 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 honestly it's just again like it's kind of funny because like the whole bracketology thing, I'm not like generally super into, like, I'm not like as, as people do that, this whole, like, I, I kind of think it's, yeah, I don't need to say anything about negative about bracketology, but it's just not something I particularly consume a lot of content wise. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to a loss like this and suddenly all the, all my buddies that are do bracketology on Twitter, I'm suddenly wanting to know what's, what's going to happen. And when they're tweeting out the the kind of cold, hard facts about, Hey, let's look at recent history and, what could yeah. this loss mean in present? Suddenly that yes becomes very interesting. So um, I, I suddenly found myself consuming a lot more bracketology content than, uh, than normal. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's hopefully I, one of the last times we have to reference uh, Texas Southern and that came. <laughs> no. And shout out to Rob Doster for pointing out that he really does think it's the second worst loss in like the last decade. Cause he just said like, dude, Evansville went zero and 18 in their league. And like, we just kind of forgot about that season because COVID happened, but like mm. they like beat Kentucky in Rupp Arena. <laughs> and like, by the way, they like trailed once. It was like three to two. That was it. So like they went like wire to wire against Kentucky and Rupp and won and then lost like their last 19 basketball games before like the pandemic shut the world down. So um, that was a worse loss because like Texas Southern's going to win the SWAC, right? Like, you know, they're probably going to go to the NCAA tournament and like, that's great. Maybe they will be a 15 seed now because they beat Florida. Um, but uh, yeah, it's still just an atrocious loss for Florida and leaves like no margin for error in these kinds of games where like, I could be right. And it's a quad one, but like, what if Maryland just goes off the rails and it becomes like a quad three, right? Like you can't risk that. So got to win, got to win. Eric, I'll let you send us home. Go Gators and keep attacking and closeouts.